Hi, this is Carl Franklin. Richard and I are going to be in London at the NDC conference December 2nd through the 6th, and we'd love to see you there. Come see Scott Guthrie, Don Syme, Bob Martin, Dan North, Scott Allen, Mads Torgerson, and many, many more at the NDC. For more information, go to ndc-london.com. .NET Rocks episode 927 with guest Mads Christensen. Recorded live Friday, November 8th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, guess what? We're at Ordev still. Yes, day three. Day three. We're almost done. Yep. And, uh, still having a great time. I had, we went and had Swedish meatballs last night. So it's been a tradition here. Every time we come to Ordev, uh, Magnus Martinson invites us to his home. Yep. And his lovely wife cooks the most amazing Swedish meatballs and gravy and, you know, and we have glurg, like the traditional Swedish holiday drink, yep. which is basically mulled wine with nuts and raisins in it, and it's just wonderful. Um I'm being one of the only Americans who's ever had it before because my mother's, you know, comes from Swedish lineage. And right. So force fed it to my brother and I. We didn't know what the hell it was. But, uh, <laughs> so I have a little bit of training in that area. It was, it was very nice. And thanks to uh, Magnus and Jessica for that. Yeah. Take good care of us. Yeah. All right, man. Better know a framework. Awesome. All right, buddy. What do you got? This is going to be a fun one. This is uh, a JavaScript kata. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it's only uh, from last year. If you go to tinyurl.com slash jskata, uh, this guy basically was thinking about converting Arabic to Roman numerals and Roman numerals to Arabic numerals and decided to do uh, a, a long kata on it. But along the way, he does all these sort of great software practices and uh, you know tests and tells you to go out and download this tool and that tool. And uh, so it's not just Sakata uh, with JavaScript. It's the whole experience. Nice. So I thought it was worth, uh, worth doing. And well, it sometimes in, ties in with some of the stuff we've been doing all this week, talking about practicing coding and yeah. you know, getting better. That's cool, man. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it's very cool. So uh, if you've got some spare time, check it out. That's uh, tinyurl.com slash jskata, K-A-T-A. It's a, a nice little exercise. It might take you a little while, but something to chew on. Yep. Time well spent. Yeah, time well spent. Practice, All right, Richard. practice, practice. Who's talking to us, man? Grabbed a comment off of show 909. That is the one we did with Rob Eisenberg when we talked about Durandal. Yeah. Speaking of JavaScript libraries. Yeah, yeah. And this comment's from Dennis Battenfeld, who says, I'm using Durandal for six months now, and I have to admit it completely changed the way I write and understand web apps, especially in terms of how to use JavaScript to get things done. Hmm. I used Knockout before, so the decision to move to Durandal was not too difficult. I tested a lot of other frameworks, Angular, Backbone, Ember, but I guess for a .NET developer who used to write Silverlight, MVC, and WPF apps, most stuff in Durandal just makes sense. Well, isn't that interesting? Isn't that because interesting? I thought Knockout made a lot of sense for a you know, Silverlight guy. Yep. But he's saying that Durandal is even, even, further, down even the path. further down the path. Yeah. Uh, and he goes on to clarify that. Learning curve. I've been using JavaScript for years. Well, in retrospect, maybe only jQuery. 
I had to better understand JavaScript first, which took a few uh, days. <laughs> After that, working with Durandal is super productive, and it helped me focus on writing my app without having to fight the framework. I use Durandal heavily in SharePoint development in conjunction with Twitter Bootstrap. In my opinion, the best development stack in recent years... Uh, more fun, less tears, the holy grail for taming, uh, customizing the beast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for your hard work, Rob. And I'm still using Caliburn Micro once in a while. Yep. It's also a fr- excellent framework. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it hit me that it made a lot of sense that Rob built Durandal. I mean, he, he did that Caliburn Micro framework was awesome too. It was. And he really gets that development pattern. So it's cool that he brought it to JavaScript and, Here's another advocate saying, yeah, that rocks. A plus one for Durandal. There you go. So, Dennis, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS, and Android. And those fine apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. who'd like to build you an app, just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, releasing over 40 new courses every month and still offering a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. We're very happy to have Mads Christensen with us here. He's a senior program manager on the web platforms and tools team at Microsoft, working on the web developer experiences of Visual Studio. He has over a decade of experience in developing web apps on the Microsoft platform, which got him the honor of becoming both an ASP.NET MVP and ASP Insider. Mads is also the creator of blogengine.net, Web Developer Checklist and Web Essentials, Image Optimizer, and Voice Commands for Visual Studio. Welcome, Mads. Thank you. Great to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. Boy, we have a lot to talk about. A new version of Visual Studio, lots of new great web things. Oh, uh, yeah. Not just web things, Visual Studio things. A lot of things to talk about. Oh, yeah. It, it actually got... Um, it was. There's a lot of new things. A lot of people think that because it's only a year since we shipped 2012 and we went over to this model of updating Visual Studio like every three, four months, Um, then there couldn't be that much new in 2013. You guys got agile. But we got agile, yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of things did happen. So um, there's a lot, and I mean a lot of new things in 2013. It is not just another service pack for 2012. It (laughs) it It is much more than that. And especially for web tooling, which is... Uh, you know where I'm most interested in. I yeah, think there's yeah. a a lot of of not only like small little um, tweaks and helpers, but we have revolutionary things in there, like browser link, for instance. Like what? Browser link, which okay. which um, changes the paradigm of web development. The paradigm of of you know you've never there's never been a connection between the browsers and your IDE, be it Visual Studio or Sublime Text or any other thing. Um, it's been it's been a separate experience mm-hmm. all through these years. And BrowserLink kind of binds the experiences together now by creating a bi-directional connection from any browser, including mobile emulators and simulators and so on, and then any browser, i.e. Chrome, Firefox, and so on, to Visual Studio. So that means that anything that you can do in a... Uh, everything that uh, JavaScript basically can do in a browser, um, it can relay back to Visual Studio and vice versa. So now we have this full 
integrated experience. And I've been building a lot of extensions on top of that. The real feature here is actually the API that lets you build extensions. Mm -hmm. And so I've been building a lot of extensions and had a lot of fun doing that. And it's really, um, it really is a brand new world. Well, I, uh, one of the things that drives me nuts about this sort of break between the browser and Visual Studio, as you're, you're explaining here, is you know when, when things get cached in the browser and you, you, you don't think to press Control F5, you know, like you're editing a JavaScript file, and it should be the easiest thing to just run Visual Studio and see those changes show up in the browser. But if it's cached, yep. yeah, it'll show up. Well, you, it could drive you insane before you figure out, you know, Control F5. Well, that's not just a development issue. That's a production. It's a browser issue. production issue. Yeah. So, the only thing you can do for that is actually to fingerprint the references to the JavaScript file. Make yeah. sure you have a version number in there, either as a query string parameter or like renaming the file itself. That right. will. F so that changes every time the file changes on disk, and yeah. then that so the URL changes, and that forces the browser to download the new version every yeah. time, it's both locally and in production. Won't the script manager do that for you? The script manager will do that, and yeah. uh, the bundling and minification stuff will do that too. But if you're if you don't use that, you can roll your own, and yeah. I, I've done that for years, and it's yeah. just a simple little C sharp method that you can you yeah. can use for that. That's good. Yeah, it's one of those habits you got to get into. So let's dig further into browser link. Yeah. So what is the what does the workflow look like using BrowserLink? What are you doing? Well, so in, in 2013 RTM, there is actually only one feature that we're shipping with Visual Studio. Okay. And that is the browser refresh scenario. So you know that you have, you're building your website and you have uh, maybe two, three, or ten browsers open because you need to test everything you're doing yeah. in multiple browsers. Now you make a change in CSS or HTML or wherever in Visual Studio. And now you have to manually, you know, alt-tap between all your windows sure. and hit F5 manually. Right. And that's, that might not be a big deal, but, you know, over time it is. Mm -hmm. And so what we've been doing now is to say, okay, let's just hit a short but, uh, shortcut uh, in Visual Studio, keyboard shortcut, that will automatically tell all the browsers to hit F5. Nice. Right? So it just uh, refreshes themselves, basically. Wow. And it doesn't matter what browser you have? No, I so, I just demoed right here today um, using so an iPhone that, emulator. Yeah. What kind of uh, Voodoo does that use actually under the hood? I mean, is that a standard browser mechanism that anybody can hook into, or it is actually, yeah, it's yeah. um, it's WebSockets and JavaScript. Oh, nice. So the way it works is there's a lot there is a lot of magic going on. Okay. Um, but the simple explanation is, if Visual Studio is open and it has your project loaded, whenever you get a request from the browser to a file in that project or a URL that maps to that project, right? ASP.NET is going to ask Visual Studio, hey, are you open with this project? Visual Studio is going to say yes. And from that point, ASP.NET is going to inject a tiny little JavaScript reference at the bottom of your page. Beauty. And that JavaScript file Open a WebSocket. opens a WebSocket directly to Visual Studio. Beauty. Yeah, so that's, and that's just JavaScript and WebSockets. There's absolutely nothing yeah. proprietary in that. So you're actually pushing a, a command to the browser and that yep. just does a window dot or location dot reload exactly. or whatever. It's, it's as simple as that. It's but it great. goes both ways, right? So you can write JavaScript that interacts with the, uh, uh, browser link object in JavaScript. Right. Right. Nice. That can send messages back to Visual Studio. So if you want to write your own extension, um, that's really, really simple. It's probably the cleanest interface for extension writing in Visual Studio. We spend a lot of time on it because, as I said earlier, this is, this is the feature. The API is the feature. It's not, right. it's not the gimmick 
of, uh, of refresh, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's just that's, an extension. That's a good little gimmick. Oh, yeah, totally. I, like, I like that a lot. Yeah, so now I suddenly you... start thinking about all the other things I could do with <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yes. Especially if you make a lot of changes and, you know, over a short period of time. Exactly. You're going and, nuts. And also the, the browser refresh is kind of smart. So it knows that if you just hit Control-Alt-Enter, which is the keyboard shortcut. Right. It knows whether or not to just save the file that, that are dirty or if it needs to build the solution because you might have been editing a C-sharp file or a VB file. Right. Mm. right. So it knows that. So you no longer have to really have to save anything anymore. Just do Control-Alt-Enter and see oh. the changes right there. Oh, that could be evil. Yeah, yeah I'm just thinking of oh, my saving. big multi-screen machine <laughs> with all those browser windows sitting side by side. They would just yep. all refresh and I'd see my change appear in every browser that I'm, I need to look at. Exactly. Yeah, it is a time saver. Yeah, it's but now I'm cool. thinking starting to embed testing behavior into that too, so I can invoke all those browsers. Now fill in the form. Yes, I actually have an extension. I showed that at Build. Mm. So at Build, we had we didn't ship the API right. because it was it was too early. Okay. Uh, and we didn't actually have one, uh, but I did have a newer version, and so I wrote an extension that would synchronize browsers. Yeah. So whenever you would navigate in one browser, all the other ones would navigate. Whenever you would scroll, they would end up at the same position and all that sort of stuff. And whenever you typed in one input field in one browser, it would type the exact same thing in the other oh, browser. That's um, awesome. Mads, you're my hero, man. <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah, that was kind of cool. But again, it's like it's all about multi-browser testing. You know, yep. dealing with the HTML5 shims and things. Like I really want to see that as mm. that form gets filled in, it works. So, so rather than just having to... Aut- automate everything i can have one browser and it's sending through studio to all the other browsers what yes. i'm doing you're gonna have like a master slave kind of scenario right. and in this and in this case visual studio is just the relay right it doesn't actually do anything nope. you don't you so when you build a uh, an extension for browser link you have one c sharp file that runs inside visual studio then yep. you have one js file that runs in the browser and in this case, the only thing that the C-sharp is doing is just to relaying the message from one mm. uh, browser to the other ones. Right. So, I mean, there's a really a lot of scenarios here. And the reason why we did not want to spend too much time building a lot of these um, features were that we, we know that our imagination is limited to the amount of people that we are on the team. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, the collective mind of, of the world is, is a lot more interesting. We- and so we just wanted to make sure that the API was so user-friendly that anyone were able to write an extension and do some cool stuff. So it, does it depend on WebSockets? And, it, and for, for that matter, is WebSockets supported everywhere now? No, it doesn't, it doesn't depend on WebSockets. It will work on, on like down-level browsers and, for instance, Windows 7, which does not have WebSockets. Right. right. Um, IE7, you mean? No, Windows 7. Windows 7, yeah. okay. Uh, WebSocket was, was introduced in, IE, uh, in Windows 8 because it, has, it, it goes all the way down to the HTTP sys level. Right. Um, there is actually a hack that you can do that in Windows 7, but it is definitely not a supported one. Okay. <laughs> so let's just leave it at that. But uh, but what it will do is that because it uses SignalR as the wrapper around the uh, protocol... So that's where I was getting at. It will just fall back to service end events and forever frame and long polling and so on. Uh, but of course, the preferred way is WebSocket. That's the one that's yeah. super fast. Right. So. Yep. So on on the latest stuff, you're going to get use WebSockets. Chances are that on your dev machine, you're going to get the premium experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, great. this is not for production. This no. is all about your development process. Yeah. It's yes. You can run it in production if you want to. I don't know why you would want to, but but that you have to jump through hoops, right? Yeah. First of all, you're, you're by default you have to be in debug equals true. Right. You can't be in release mode. 
Uh, second of all, you have to have Visual Studio installed. Yeah. And third of all, you have to have the same project open, which in the prop property pages of that project has to have a URL that maps to your remote URL. Right. Mm. Furthermore, you have to set up a proxy for local host because it only works for local requests. Right. So you can if you really want to jump through hoops. Probably not. Don't do idea. this. Just pull out Signal R and build your own. Exactly. It's not that hard. No. And it's probably a lot more generic, you know, simpler way to go about things. Than that. Yeah. And the cool thing is that it, it's built very modular. So uh, we were working with Redgate. They have they have a special project, an extension for Visual Studio that lets them build uh, certain certain things for for uh, mobile devices, mm -hmm. which does not it doesn't even use ASP.NET. Uh, but they want this experience of browsing and you know updating, control all, enter all those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we work with them to enable that. And so this is so modular that it will work anywhere. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, this is, we have not seen what browser link's gonna do yet. No, we just scratched the surface. Yeah, just, just began the idea. Yeah. Well, just the whole idea of introducing Signal R into the development process. Yeah. It's yeah. just a mind bender. Well, the idea is that, I mean, there, there are some hidden agendas here, and that is, one of them is workflow. So we know that there are certain things that people do and they don't wanna change. And one yeah. of them is, hey, I wanna, I wanna use the browser tools. I wanna use my Chrome tools or Firebug for, yeah. For pixel pushing and, and doing the you know the last details in my yeah. website, so what we've done is, and this is in Web Essentials, um, we've added an extension that lets you do that. Keep your workflow, but it will either it will give you a button as soon as you change something, you can hit a button that says "Save my changes," and it will actually take all your little style tweaks that you did in the Chrome tools, for instance, and save it directly into Visual Studio, or you can put it in Auto Sync. So as soon as you change the value in your IE tools or Chrome tools, it's automatically synchronized and updated in your source files. Nice. So we have the complete source mapping, and this works for CSS and less, right? So we, we have a mechanism for knowing whether or not there's a less file, uh, you know, with your CSS file. Right, as part yeah. of the process. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's kind of cool. So you can, you can keep your workflow, and this has been sort of the holy grail because yeah. uh, it's really difficult, and there's really no answer to this out there. Uh, Chrome has does, done a really good job in trying to do all this source mapping and all these things. Mm -hmm. But the problem is what when we're dealing with server-generated content, then it gets really tough. Uh, then the browser alone cannot do it. It does not know, you know, the, the structure of your C-sharp or your race or your web forms. You need some sort of server layer there, right. something that knows about that. And so that's where BrowserLink comes in and adds that missing piece. But if, I gotta imagine if you've got, you know, four browser windows doing the refresh and one of them fails, there's not necessarily anything there other than your eyes to catch that failure. Yeah. I mean, if you get a yellow screen of death, that means that you, we're not injecting our JavaScript and your connection is lost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what else you got? <laughs> Besides browser link. I mean, it's very cool. And before we yes. jump into the next feature, should we define web essentials? Cause I don't know that everybody knows what web essentials is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Good idea. So web essentials is a, Free extension for Visual Studio mm -hmm. that basically just adds a lot of missing features. So Web Essentials, and it's not a Microsoft product; it's a, just a my hobby project, weekend project. Right. But it started out actually in 2010. There is a version for 2010. It doesn't do a lot, but that was kind of the way I got started. Right. Um, and I was hired at Microsoft around that same time, and then we started working on 2012. Mm -hmm. And so. I'm a program manager for the HTML editor and the CSS editor and other things, but when we were building a brand new CSS editor for 2012, um, I wanted it to be extendable. 
because in 2010, none of these editors were really extendable. Right. I didn't have a full API that I could, you know, very easily figure out what are rules, what are selectors, and, you know, get the full tree. And so we build it with extensibility in mind, like from the beginning. Mm -hmm. It was so important. But how do you test an API? Yeah. How right. do you know that API is actually good until people One are using it? One thing is that it, it looks right, but you actually <laughs> need to build real extension, real right. world stuff to know whether or not, is, is it optimized? Is yeah. it, could it be done smarter? Um, I'm sure that it would work if I didn't do this, but it might not have been as, as smooth. You know? yeah. So we actually took a lot of the experiences of building all these extensions. Um, and then adopted the API and modified the API to make it, it better. Okay, that's an interesting game you have to play at those early days. Because if you, if you change, if you realize you've got errors in your API and make big changes, you punish the early adopters to help you find those problems in the first place. Yes. So I guess it'd be, you guys are dogfooding your own stuff to make the API right before you give it to everyone else. Yes, and this was way before any public beta preview right. or anything, right? So it was very early on. Um, but that just led to, that just that that's sort of how Web Essential Web Essentials was born because I ended up having a lot of these extensions, and we knew up front that most of these things that these extensions would do was not something we would have time to actually implement in right. Visual Studio, uh, because you know we have our sprint planning and so on, and we can't do everything. No, and so we started using Web Essentials internally as a way to say, okay, we know we can't do this. Then hey, can we do it in Web Essentials instead? Then hmm. basically yeah. saying, hey. Can you just do it in the weekend? You know, right? <laughs> and you do it on your spare time, Matt. Can you yeah. do that for us? Yeah. Is that so? Is Web Essentials still on its own? It's still yeah. your project. You just yep. go download it well, from your site. Yep. It's kind of nice to have that buffer, isn't it? You know, just have another thing, another thing that isn't officially in the box. That and it's rev really, really like every two weeks. There's right. a new version. Like yeah. New features or bug fixes or tweaks or is that all you or you got other people working on it too? It used to be all me, but uh, now I open sourced. Right. Uh, Web Essentials 2013 and a month later for 2012. Okay. And uh, so now it seems like they're starting to form a core team now. Oh, interesting. Yes. Mm. And people have really, very fast, have taken, have adopted this and forked it on GitHub. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, we have support for some node structures now. We have uh, new JavaScript IntelliSense and all, and, and like recently, like a couple of days ago, we got, I got a pull request for renewing um, the less compiler. So what I've did with the less compiler, I was I would run it on the Windows script host, mm -hmm. which runs like the JavaScript engine of IE 5.5 or something. It's really old and slow. And so, but now it runs Node, right? So now we can start taking advantage of these things because some guy came in, uh, Duncan Smart, who did a lot of he did um, Chirpy. I don't know if you remember Chirpy for Visual Studio. It was like a compiler for Less and SAS and CoffeeScript and so on. So okay. he had a lot of experience there, and I just asked him, "Hey, can you help out?" And he did, and it's it's awesome. So now we can run all our scripts, all our JS Hint, and and uh, CoffeeScript compilers and all that through Node, which is so much faster. Yeah. So I might not have time time to look into all that, but it's really cool that the community does. Yeah, this is what open source is about, right? Oh yeah. I mean, already now uh, the the process now is so much faster. Yeah. Because so many more people are contributing. Um, me being the bottleneck is not that efficient. <laughs> yeah. you, you still are taking the pull requests in and, and doing the merges. Like yeah. In the end, you are still a dictator for life, effectively. Yes. It runs very much like uh, when I did Block Engine back in the day. I started right. out on my own. I released the first version, and then I put it on CodePlex. Right. And then your role changes, because then you get... You have to, then you have a team, yes, right, and you have to make sure that they kind of align with your ideas, right? 
right? The, because the, the, but I, I think I learned my lesson. Like I had, with Block Engine, I had a lot of, um, I wouldn't say mantras, but I, you know, it had to be simple and it had mm-hmm. to be lightweight and no third party controls. That right. was just because I thought that was, that was a good idea. That was a good idea at the time. Yeah. Uh, so no third party DLLs, like zero. Because it had to be a starter kit as well. I wanted people to learn from the code and all sure. that. Sure. Yeah. And just you know, because a lot of times you get a library, a DLL, mm-hmm. f- just for one f- uh, function or method. Right. And you could just implement that, and you would you don't need that. People don't realize that the more DLLs you have, the slower the startup time sure. is. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, you have to jit everything, and so. But at the same time, being absolute about that could be an issue too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, well, later on. So now I have another blog engine called uh, Mini Blog that I'm. Uh, it's just like a hobby. I'm not doing anything big with it. It doesn't even have its own website or anything. Hmm. But I said, okay, how can I build a block engine again, uh, but using the latest, the latest HTML5 and ASP.NET uh, technologies to see how simple can it be? And it's it's so much better now. Like <laughs> Block Engine.net started in 2006, I yeah, believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was ASP.NET 2.0. Yeah. And I don't think jQuery was not out at the no, time. Not really. All you know, all this stuff that we take for granted today. So it it I think it's probably a factor twenty smaller code base. Wow! Yes, yeah. just and speaks to how much HTML's come along. And it's all yep. Ajaxified, and it's all Ajaxified. It's yeah. all like inline editing, just mm-hmm. using wow. content editable and 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 things that are now common in every browser. Right, and it's free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. So, so yeah. have you pushed it out yet, or are you just keeping yeah? It? It's it's out on my GitHub. Okay, it's, uh, yeah, GitHub.com/slash Matt Christensen. There's right. a mini blog up there. You mentioned the new editors. So there's a new editor for HTML and a new editor for CSS? Yes. So this, so in 2012, we rewrote the CSS editor and the JavaScript editor. Right. In 2013, it was time to rewrite the HTML editor. Okay. Because the old HTML editor was, in fact, very old. It was from the 90s. And it was like a it big... It was Visual Internet is what it oh, was. Oh, yeah. It was old. And it, had, <laughs> it had actually had front page dependencies. Oh, my goodness. MSO. Now, are we talking about... Designers or just a text editor? A, or both. Well, both. But the funny thing is that the editor itself had dependencies on the designer for certain features. Okay. Yes. So you know, I mean, and so it wasn't very flexible. And we really want to be cutting edge, HTML5 and mm-hmm. kind of future proof and make sure that we can move as fast as the internet. Yeah. And um, there were limitations in the old editor. We could not do that. So. We, we sort of had to reinvent that. And mm-hmm. We did that in 2013, and again, we did it with extensibility in mind, and we added a lot of new core features that we did not take advantage of. We just provided the APIs. Oh, interesting. So we have smart tags. We have the ability to write custom intelligence and validators and all sorts of really interesting things. Um, and I've taken advantage of that in Web Essentials, but it's it's out there for everyone to use, mm-hmm. and so it it really is extendable. It's much faster. It's it's um, we cleaned up all the formatting. I don't know if you remember in 2012 and yep. 10 and before. You know, if you did you know format document, you were basically not happy. Yeah, <laughs> not a happy guy. Yeah, yeah. let's just, yeah. So it w- it would do stuff that you did not want it to do. Right. Right. And yeah. that was because it did work well when you were mixing HTML and. And uh, Racer and web forms and different yeah, like different languages things on you. Yeah. yeah. So so we rewrote that entire layer and basically what it does now is it respects the way you're writing. If you want to write like one big line, you know, you have a UL li and inside the li you want to span and an a tag that has other tags inside of it. Sure. And you do format document. We leave it at that. We just make sure your indentation is correct. 
Also, we make sure that when you hit enter inside uh, an HTML element, that we do the right thing, like what you would expect, that you would have the end tag go on maybe the line below that again. Right. And it's mostly about figuring out the right indent on the next line. Yeah, but the, the entire goal was that the way you write is also the way that you're going to end up if you hit a format document. So mm -hmm. you would never actually hit format document anymore. Right. And so that was the goal, and that was really tricky, way more tricky than we thought. But that's just some of the details that it's frustrating, but we kind of live to learn, uh, we learn to live with them and we forget about it. We ignore it. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of these things uh, that we just get used to. But I mean, it's a tiny paper cut. Right? There's a lot of tiny paper cuts and, you know, if you have enough of them, you die. So uh, we want to <laughs> make sure. That's why paper cuts not easy to do. But. <laughs> it's not easy, but. But you also hear from people coming from the outside. And you know, the problem is we've been using Studio for too long. Yeah. And so we've lived with these things and we forget, you know, what's in, what used to annoy us. We just learned to live with it. It's really interesting to see somebody coming into studio fresh and going, how do you people live like this? <laughs> yeah. And you don't even realize that you jump through these hoops. Yeah. Well, and just when you think that it's not all that great, go try something else. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. only thing worse than the visual studio editor is every, every other editor. <laughs> <else>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we hear that for a lot of, from a lot of, so there's a lot of people that are moving into Sublime, right? Yep. Or have lately. Yeah. There are some um, people. And they do that. Things. Maybe they do that for CSS only or only right. for JavaScript, right? And then they come back from visual studio to do C sharp, uh, and certain things on the same project. Yep. And so I've been playing around, uh, around with a lot of these. And so we have to remember, I came from, I was a web developer since late, not late nineties. And so I've been through, you know, Homesite and Dreamweaver and Adobe Go Live yes. and all these things that really don't exist professionally anymore, you know? Holy man. Yeah. So, you know, I've been through a lot of these editors and still today, Homesite for me is the editor. <laughs> uh, that was the one uh, for me. It's not available anymore. I just looked today, actually. So Adobe had it. You could actually download it from oh, really? their website. You had to pay for it, though. Oh, wow. Yeah, but they, now they, they don't have it anymore. They finally taken it away. Yeah, completely. but that was the most basic thing. It was syntax highlighting. I think they did a little bit of formatting, like they would indent when you hit enter and stuff right. like that. And that was it. You know? And I, I learned HTML because it was so bare bone. Mm -hmm. So if you, know, if you know HTML, you know all these things, JavaScript, CSS, and you don't need help from IntelliSense and so on, you know, Sublime is, is perfectly fine, you know, that, that might suit you. Right. But if, if you do that for a while, at a certain point, you're also going to notice that when you go back that, you know, how could you live without all of the things that we have in, yes. in Visual Studio? Because, but then you hear a lot of the things say, oh, well, Visual Studio is heavy, it's big, and yep. I just want to edit the text file, which is what, is, what web development is, basically. <laughs> um, but the thing is, I mean, Visual Studio opens in like one, two seconds yeah. on an SSD, right? Um, and the benefit you get when you're writing CSS, when we automatically provide you with vendor prefixes, we automatically give you all sorts of shortcuts, uh, errors and validation and smart tags, and a lot of helpers that to make sure that, hey, when you write CSS, it sort of works in all browsers. You can hover any property and even some of the values, mm -hmm. and we will tell you what browser supports that specific property. Yeah. Like even what version of what browser? This CSS I think is the is the most difficult piece these days of web page building. Yes. Just because it's so hard to visualize or look at a given rendering and say why does it look like that? Like yes. what elements are acting on that yes. particular structure of the page? And there are so many people that that just hates it. Like literally just hates it. Yeah. Yep. It's so And so I always ask when I, when I go out and and I have to give a presentation, and I did that here, and I asked the crowd, like, how many people love CSS? Like, really love it. <laughs> really love and it. And there's always just, like, a few hands going up. Like, one weird turtleneck guy in the back. There's always, like, one, two, three percent <laughs> right. raises their hand. Here, 
Zero. Wow. Like, not a single hand. And, um, but I think that speaks a lot uh, to what you're saying. Like, it, people just don't like it. And, I, and, I, can't, and yeah, I don't I have know. a better answer. No, I have. I have a theory. You do? Yes. My theory is that CSS have had so, such poor tooling all through the right. years yep. that it's just annoying. And whenever you do something in CSS, there is no compiler. No. There is nothing to catch you um, when what you're doing doesn't work in all the browsers. So right. you don't know. There is no guarantees whatever you write works. You can't That's see That's a frustrating thing for yep. developers. Yeah. So then what happens is that then people start to dislike CSS. Yep. And then they don't improve their skills. Yes. So it becomes a vicious circle. Yeah, self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah. So, But if the tooling was great, maybe, then maybe it would be easier for them and they would start liking it sure. and using it more and maybe reading up on it and, and you know, sharpening their skills. And so what we did in 2012 was to really boost the tooling. Like, mm -hmm. Like by a long shot, and and then put Web Essentials on top of it, and you have like the most comprehensive CSS tooling in the world, hands down. There's nothing that comes even close to the combination of Web Essentials and Visual Studio for CSS. Awesome. And um, I think like when I go on stage and I say, okay, let's take a look at the new stuff in CSS. People, you can see people like, oh they no, they groan. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But then when you sh when you show them like, look at how easy it now is, and we sync up when you change the a value of a prop of a property, and it has a lot of you know vendor prefixed properties as well, like right. uh, WebKit transform and MS yeah. transform. So you just change one of them, and the other one follows along. It syncs up, so you don't have to repeat yourself and all. You know, just these small little paper cuts. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's just paper cuts. But there were so many in CSS. Um, you were dying. You were really dying. Yeah. yeah. We'll dig a little bit into more into CSS in a minute. But Richard, first, do you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to open a web socket and send a time to refresh your developer tool set message <laughs> to a lucky winner <laughs> Good one. A lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club uh, who's going to win a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. But first, let me tell you that Telerik Icinium enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. The new release of Icinium will allow all this goodness from within Visual Studio. And these capabilities include comprehensive back-end as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI and jQuery mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities, making Icinium a robust end-to-end -end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium with its new Visual Studio extension is available on a subscription basis and is now part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at Icinium.com. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M slash D-N-R. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks all these years. Absolutely. So, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Ulysses Moreno. Congratulations, Ulysses. Let's give him a round of applause. That Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection is just about everything Telerik does in one box. It's a $2,000 value. We give one away in every show. Uh, also giving away my CD, Been A While. Uh, it's my solo album. Kind of funky, kind of bluesy, little Steely Dan flavor. John Schofield, the great guitar player who played with Miles Davis. He, he's a friend of mine. He came and played with me on the album. And uh, that's available at iTunes, Amazon.com, and Nokia Music, and also at CarlFranklin.com. Today's winner of that is Jay Guatkin. Congratulations, Jay. Yeah. 
It's already on its way to Jay. So if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we give away stuff. Every December we give away $5,000 worth of stuff. And December's coming up real soon now. December's coming up real soon. So we're about to give away something. And uh, we like to ask all our guests, Mads, if you had $5,000 to, to, to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, that's a good question. I think I would uh, play around with some NFC stuff. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, so I just backed like this Kickstarter thing. They have an NFC ring. Oh, yes, I know NFCring.com, NFC I believe. Yep. And so I should receive mine shortly. But so I would like to have like my my lock on the door and yep. you know just automate everything. You yeah. Know, when you NFC. reach out and grab the door handle, the door just unlocks. Yes. When I reach, when I grab my phone, it unlocks. You know, yep. all this sort of. So stuff. answer me a question about near field communications because that's what we're talking about. How close do you have to be for things to activate? I think you have to be like almost touching, like almost within touching. a centimeter or something. So it's kind of like RFID reader. Th- yeah, well, they're activation. largely the same technology, and but it depends on the reader too. Because hmm. I've seen uh, long range RFID radar. Yeah. So the, these uh, guys, because the sense, the, the little sensor nodes are cheap, right? Like yeah. The thing on the ring is cheap. Yes. It's the reader that's expensive, and so what they did was they used they put the cheap readers on a radio tower. So literally hundreds of feet high. Then they had this high-powered sensor that not only could read all of the tags all the way up the tower, could tell exactly how far away they were because they were measuring the oscillation rate of the radio tower in the wind. <laughs> just wow! Really, there's some really interesting technology in that space. Yes. So I, I, I normally when we think about you know the, the the key or the the ring, it's definitely like almost contact. Yeah. But I think we could build readers that would be more powerful. And I think about them in terms of stuff like occupancy sensors. Like actually knowing that someone's in a room is hard to figure out. Isn't that what you use the connect for? I was going to say, if you have a connect, you can figure yeah. out if there's Even a connect there. only has range 10 feet. 20 feet. Oh. Then you buy another one. And you put yep. four of them in a room. Cover, and cover the whole house. It all depends on the size of the room. Yeah, I mean, what I like about the connect sensor is you can do more with it, right? You can yeah. actually figure out what is the person doing by measuring yeah. your skeleton. But, uh, you know, RFID is another way that you, yeah. could, you could actually pick up where people are, how fast they're moving, you know, a lot of different sensing you could do with that. Yeah, and I like, I like the way that they think about it. So the NFC ring is kind of interesting. It has two, two chips, right? It has one, like, that's on top of your finger and one inside, and they call it, like, your public and your private. So things that you grab with your hand, you use, it touches the inside of your ring, right? Interesting. Or huh. the, yeah. And so I just like that idea because that's sort of... Uh, I like to think about stuff like that. So you, you might mm. place your, your readers where it makes sense. That stuff you grab. That's, yep. you know, more personal stuff potentially. Right. Right. So, so it gives you like that nice distinction as well. Yeah. Where on top of your hand is something more external. Yeah. Exactly. That's the one where you're, hey, you want my business card. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to, you know, on top of my hand, touch your phone and you get my business card. And would right. you use yep. that for sort of ID based actions, you know? I, something I actually, that knows yeah. that it's you and therefore does something when you touch it. Exactly. So yeah. you, that's one aspect. Like it just identifies you as you. Yeah. Or you program um, whatever the sensor is hooked up to just to react to do certain things based on what uh, NFC tag it comes, yeah. it comes yeah, close yeah. to it, right? So you can have one from your public and one from your private doing certain different things. So yeah, your sure. phone, for instance, you could unlock it with the inside of the ring, but you could uh, perform an action with the outside of your ring. I get it. Yeah. Well, That's interesting. It's all about the reader, right? Yeah. It is all about the reader, yep. yeah. It's just interesting because this is I can I can finally get the chip 
without actually putting it inside my body, but I can kind of get <laughs> sort of the same yeah, thing, you yeah, know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, for a long time, they were talking about was something that actually went under the skin. Yes. And I, th- I don't think anybody was real comfortable with that. No, me neither. Oh, there you go. Yes. NFC ring. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm on that Kickstarter list, too. Oh, okay. So That's a I, Kickstarter thing, right? It was a Kickstarter, yeah. 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 It's done now, but uh, I'm on it. Um, so, jumping back to the CSS editor, I'm trying to visualize uh, some of these features that you were talking about. One of the things that um, that I, I find missing in a, in a CSS editor is just sort of guidance, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, where do I start? Having a mm. blank CSS page is very daunting for a lot of people, right? Yeah. So, and, and not necessarily guidance, but just sort of, you know, the equivalent of IntelliSense. But yes. before you even before you even start, maybe that's that's a problem for a lot of things. Um, I think CSS is probably like the poster child of it. But yeah. I mean, it's the same for JavaScript. If you're new to JavaScript, yeah. right, or C sharp, if you come from VB, then what do you do in C sharp? I don't know. But I mean, the the problem though, I think, is the same for all of these, and it's uh, it's about discoverability and feature enablement. Yeah. Like how how do you get started? How do you know what to do and how to proceed? Sure. And it's the same for any editor. And it's sort of one of the holy grails that we're, we're dealing with on the team is to make things discoverable. Make, like, empower you to build advanced stuff without you maybe knowing how to start. Sure. And that is really problematic because there is a level of teaching. So is the role of the ASP.NET and WebTools team to teach developers to write CSS? Or is it to provide the tooling to make it easier? Or is it somewhere in between? And if we're talking about discoverability and helping you getting started, it's definitely somewhere in between. And sure. we, we would yeah. like to get there, but that's really difficult. We have to remember that we can't sacrifice the CSS expert right. for the CSS new no, no, or right. vice versa. So it is, it is a really tough balance. I do feel like I appreciate you guys built your APIs. But you validate your APIs by building features against them. Yes. That also becomes samples for us to use your APIs correctly. Exactly. So All of that is open source, and it's really easy to see how to do these yeah. things. And I think yeah. exemplars are important. So same thing when we talk about CSS. It's like, you know what you don't want is you don't want the Northwind experience. That when people didn't know where to go started, they grabbed the first sample they could find, which was a bad sample. Yes. Yeah. It's like you really want a template to come up that's a good template. Yes. Like, that makes good recommendations for what to do. Exactly. Depending on your mood, your skill level, sure. you know, the, the type of project you're working on. And the, ma- the, the matrix of those starting templates yeah. is going to grow to enormous amount, it, you know, it can huge get out size. of control. And it is. And that's why we don't, so we don't ship, if you say file new ASP.NET project, right. we don't give you a matrix like 50 different starting points, right? Oh, I want to build web forms with Angular and with, you right. know, you could customize it forever. No, that was much more a co- composed model, right? And we've done shows on the one ASP.NET. It's like, yes. mix any match, whatever you want. But you, yes. so you should be able to go in and say, I'll take one of these and one of those and one of these and one of those and off I go. The thing is that you've always been able to do that. Yeah. But as Carla was saying, like, if you don't know or if you don't know how to get started, it's very confusing. Yeah. And so we want to, we want to break down this. There's sort of, there has been this barrier where we kind of, Give give you the idea that if you choose one, we lock you to that. Yeah, you and can't have stuck. anything else. Yeah, and uh, that has actually never been true. But nevertheless, that's how it looked like. Yep. And um, and so we we made a lot of changes to make that more transparent to people. Um, but we the whole template is is problematic, and so we we actually started a project uh, for the community to add a lot of templates. Mm-hmm. It's called SideWaffle.com. Sidewaffle. 
Yes. <laughs> I love the name. Yes. I want a side waffle, please. Exactly. It's a it's a delicious side dish for Visual Studio. Nice. Side it's a it's a template pack, and it gives you snippets, it gives you project templates, and item templates for things that you perhaps don't do that often, or mm -hmm. if you want a different starting point, so that you can very easily, if you have a web app, you can say, you know, add new item, and here's a an Angular controller. There's a robots.txt file. Mm. There's a white ASP.NET white space removal HTML module. Nice. Right? Stuff like that. Wow. Um, stuff like th that does not belong in NuGet. NuGet is very much for components that are libraries that you're not going to change. You're just going to consume them. Right. And you're going to deploy them probably as well. And you're going to deploy them. But here, you know, an item template should give you a good starting point for you to modify files, mm -hmm. right? And so that's part, that's what Sidewaffle is. And it also gives you, if you want to write a, a browser link extension, go download Sidewaffle. You can say file new project, browser link extension. Hmm. Right, so we try to, to put all those things in there that we cannot maintain as a team. And so we want all the web stuff, obviously. Mm -hmm. We have John Papa. He wrote the mm -hmm. Durandal and the yep. AngularJS yeah. um, templates for that. And we have other people that are like experts in their field doing templates for, for what they're good at. Cool. And we want to have this for um, templates for Windows Phone, Windows 8, and for all your SharePoint templates, all sorts of different things. And the community has been really, really great at... at um, uh, sending us pull requests for whatever they're they're good at, and so so it actually is starting to become pretty comprehensive and a good starting point for a lot of things, and um, so I think over time uh, that could be that's one of those feature enablers and you know making things discoverable yep. that we just talked about. Um, maybe you can say you know file new uh, CSS fold out menu, right? And you can get a, you can get started, right. and it might have a little bit of description, some comments saying, hey, yeah, structure your HTML like this. And then this CSS will just apply and do the right thing. So there could be a little bit of discoverability here. As sure. Well. Yeah. I'm a, I can't remember. I can, I've used it too. But what's the CSS template library that everybody's using these days? It's really easy to get started with. Bootstrap. Yeah, yeah. Bootstrap. Yeah. So what I like about that is that you know they use a sort of a convention for everything, and you could just swap out the templates and make everything look completely different. Yeah. Is is do you guys embrace that model? Oh yeah, very much. If you in 2013, all of the ASP.NET templates have been rewritten, and now they all use Bootstrap 3.0. Oh so wow! So we, we 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 came. It was so you're the right timing. Embracing so, the Bootstrap template. Yes, model. in preview we were on Bootstrap 2, and Bootstrap 3 came out just in time for us to actually make it uh, to update all the templates to nice. Bootstrap 3. Oh, that's so before cool! Before we shipped, yeah. Oh, very cool. And we also have, in the new HTML editor, we now have, if you want to add a class to an HTML element, mm -hmm. class attribute, we give you full intelligence. So especially with Bootstrap and, and you know, SERP Foundation and all these other uh, CSS frameworks, it's difficult to remember all the different class names that you have to apply. Yeah. And so you sit a lot in, in the online documentation of, of whatever framework you're using. So what we've been doing is that we take all CSS class names and make them globally available in your project for IntelliSense and HTML. So now it's really easy, you know, you say class equals, you get IntelliSense, a list of all the class names, including Bootstrap and your custom class names. Yeah. So, you know, you, it's really easy and you don't forget and, 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 you know, make typos and stuff like that. There's also, isn't there a, uh, I, I think it's at Google, but I'm not sure where. Somebody's got a, a, a link that redirects to the latest version of jQuery. So if you link that in your JavaScript, Instead of a particular version, it will always have the latest version of jQuery. Okay. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. I mean, you've certainly <laughs> taken a, a chance. 
and breaking your stuff yes. doing that. But well, uh, it was safe until they did uh, jQuery 2.0 because yeah. that did not support anything below i9. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that would have been. I think the Google CDN. Yeah, Co that's Google has yeah, yeah. that right. feature. Um, but yeah, I, it's yeah. probably safe by now. But you know, you know, but but it is taking a risk. Yeah, if you, I think if you use uh, jQuery two anyway, then yeah, for now it's safe. Yeah. Uh, but as long as three is not going to be breaking as two was, right? Then you should be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's always you know this is what happens when you mature and get popular is you can't change very much. You have to be very yep. careful yep. in the in your progression. Yeah, but that's also some of the stuff. Yeah, you know, we have Nougat to help you with that, and now yes. Nougat has. Yeah, it's easier to update your packages. You have like an update all yep. button now, so I mean those things are getting easier as well. Yeah, go change my world. Yeah, <laughs> bring me everything. Yeah, yeah, the Nougat's become I think an essential part of the. And we're equation. still trying to integrate it deeper in in Visual Studio and mm -hmm. your experience. So one of the things that we hear sometimes is look, you can say add new item. You can say, you know, manage NuGet packages. Yeah. Uh, now we have the ASP.NET scaffolding, mm -hmm. um, mm. also coming for web forms and so on. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do sort of the same thing. Right, right. And, but you have yeah. to look for them at different places. They mm -hmm. don't show up in the same place. So why not just have add new item? And, you know, we have NuGet packages there. We have scaffolding stuff there. We have all these different things. Yeah. Huh. But there's only one place. So I think we're going to see going forward, we're going to see um, um, that we're going to consolidate that workflow more, keep it more simple. Keep it like if you want to add a new item, where are you going to look first? Add new item dialog, right? right? Sure. So I think I think the but simplicity. But we're talking about 2014 helping. features, are we? Uh, no, I don't know when when this is happening. This right. is sort of this is sort of what I what I like to see happening. Yeah. But I'm not the boss of anything, so and it's not in 2013. It is not Maybe in 2013. Be, are you still going to do the quarterly CTPs? Um, I hope so. Yeah, I really hope so because we I really want to bring uh, a SaaS editor out there. So we just started doing the SaaS editor. Software as a service editor? Yeah, no, not at all. Okay. So, you know, you have less CSS. Right. Right. There's something called SAS. Right. And so it's a pre-compiler pre uh, language for CSS. It compiles to CSS. Okay. So it's a superset of CSS and it allows you to do a lot of things. And it's gotten a lot of traction's, traction lately. And in, in, up, in uh, update two for Visual Studio 2012, we brought a less editor. Mm-hmm. But people more and more seems to be moving on to SAS instead of less. Right. And so we want to make sure that they get a great experience uh, in Visual Studio working with SAS. So I hope that we can do that in an update instead of waiting to the next big release. A year's too long. It is. Yeah. And the the web moves faster. Sure. And that's the whole idea. We had this quarterly model. Yes. What about the sort of classic modules uh, in 2013? MVC, web forms, have, are, there, are there things to talk about there? They've, their update to the framework was was four five four five one, so it's not huge. Yeah, I mean there are a few uh, there are there are some changes, but they haven't been as significant and as groundbreaking as the earlier versions. Right. Mm. Um, but they take advantage of uh, newer frameworks and newer uh, they have newer capabilities that makes them run faster and a lot of different things. So you do get a lot of benefit of upgrading. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, you don't get like a whole lot of new features, like maybe you're used to from the other from right. the other releases. Well, like, mm -hmm. you you start speaking to this idea: if we're going to have a new studio every year and quarterly updates to it, how often and how much of the framework is going to change along the way? Well, that's not going to change. So the way that the web stack has worked, so MVC from the very beginning, back mm -hmm. when Phil Hack started it, back what is that? Four years ago, something like yeah. that. Yeah, something like that. It was always out of band, what we call yes. out of band. It was never part 
of the official Visual Studio releases. Right. Uh, we chained it in. And then we could update it whenever we wanted. Yeah. But it was never the framework that updated it. It was the tooling around it. Yeah. So we've always had, we released MVC 1. Then six months later came an update to the tooling. Then it was, you know, MVC 2. And then six months later come an update. Mm. That has been the pattern for the web, from the web stack all along. Yeah. So that's going to continue regardless of, of whatever happens. But it's not everything that we have in one of these out of band components that we can just update. Like the HTML editor, for instance, is, is very deeply tied to Visual Studio because it also works not just for web, but it also works for when you're writing Windows 8 apps, right? Right. So there are certain things, certain components that are, they have to be sort of in band. And to update those, we have to do the service packs back in the day. And now it's called the Visual Studio updates. So hopefully we're going to see a lot of them uh, this time around. And, uh, and then we can update and bring you all the new features and update the schema files and give you the latest IntelliSense and, and so on. It feels to me like we talked, I think it was with Jay Schmelzer way back in 2010 yep. time frame. Way back. Way back. Two versions, three versions ago. And, he, and they talked about the restructuring of Studio to be tolerant to a much more composable, modular approach mm. to making updates. And it, now I feel like what he was talking about then, we're finally seeing now. Yes. So you're able to move really quickly. You know, you talk about a whole new editor being added in and without any fear. This is not a big deal. It's like, oh, you need a SAS editor? Yeah, we'll drop that in for you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This, this, this is because of that. Because all the editors and a lot of the APIs in Visual Studio 2010, right. as you remember, that, that, was, that was the version where Visual Studio moved to be a WPF app. WPF, right. right. And, and a lot of the APIs um, was updated as well. To make everything more modular. Yes. So now it was suddenly possible for us to write, uh, even as third-party developers, we can write an, uh, an extension that would bring a brand new editor mm -hmm. uh, into Visual Studio 2010. But I think at that time, um, we, we did not have, maybe we didn't have enough time to, to take advantage of it in 2010. But then when 2012 came around, uh, then we were fully ready and, right. and you know, ambitious about this. And we so really, really wanted to see the benefits of it. Yeah, but you have to remember, like, we, we, we kind of did this model all along with the web stack for MVC, for instance. Right. And now it was more like, how much, how, how about the rest of our tooling? Can we do the exact same model? Yeah. And Can everything be composable like this? Yes, 2010 and what came of that allowed for that. Right. Matt, yeah. is there such a thing as too many features in Visual Studio? Yes. So are you guys taking things out that didn't work? Uh, yes, we have done that. We removed so this this time around for 2013, we have removed front front page extensions. Um, <laughs> bye, <they> were, <laughs> bye bye. Thanks. You were you were able in 2012 to deploy using front page extensions. Still, but uh, yeah, goodbye. Yeah, and stop uh, doing that. 1995 called and said come back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Cassini, the web server, developer right. server, right? It's now gone. Yeah, because it's yeah. just not needed. It's it no, it's too yeah. old. It. it no, it was time for it to die. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's just some examples. We're looking a lot at settings. So I have a thing about settings. I, I generally have a dislike of settings. Like, they're settings? used, yes, there used to be, when I, I joined Microsoft, there was usually, there was this thing about, hey, we want to build a feature and we could build it, uh, you know, we could build it uh, one way or another way. And we probably, we can just add a setting so that user can determine if they want, you know, Right. Way, way A or way B. Right. And for me, that's always been the lazy way out. Instead of building it right to begin with, 
you don't need a setting. If you do it right, you don't need a setting. Right. Do you remember uh, Windows Mobile, like before Windows yes. Phone? Oh, yeah, yeah. It had more settings than features. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. They, we actually did a show with the guys talking about how they generated a version of the OS for a given device. Yep. You know, oh, they yeah. actually had this OS factory that was just settings. Just, just all, all these switches configs. you throw, and it would spit something out the other end, which seemed very cool, but we know what it did. Yes. You know, there was no <laughs> two devices that were the same, no two versions of the OS that were the same. Really? Yeah, so that was, so yeah, for me, that is just, that was, that, that's an opt out. That, oh, sorry, a cop out. That's the easy way out. Yeah. And it's a lazy, uh, it's a lazy designer that decides to, um, to you not just stand his ground saying, this either. is the way, this is the right way. There should know? be a right way. And, yeah. and, and feel good about it. And yes, you're going to move the cheese a little bit. Yep. But if you know that this is the right way, and you know, you, it's better and I'm not cheese. saying you know like in an arrogant way, but like yeah. there are certain things that Apple, Apple figured it out, right? right sure. So iOS does not have a 500 settings for everything. No. Yeah. And so it is totally possible. So for instance, in the new HTML editor, you'll see that you have six settings. Right. Where in the old one, you had, you could, you could determine the formatting of each HTML element like each individual HTML element, you're gonna have different rules for H1, for div, for body, and so on. Oh man! Well, if it's a if it's a an attitude to simplify, I'm all for it because yeah, simplification is good. Yes. Yeah. I agree, and well, I think like there's a lot of we know that people don't use tools options. Right. So if they don't do that, and we and we give them an option to do A or B, then they might be using it the wrong way you know for their workflow without even knowing that right. they could correct it mm. and so uh, that just brings it back to let's not have settings we don't need the only tools option that's i use are the is the font size yep yeah that's because we're it. on stage yes exactly that's the only reason i use it almost every day yeah, yeah. Yep. And, it, and, I, and i have tormented people when they've left their machines it's supposed to be going through and modifying a whole bunch of option settings <laughs> yeah stuff you'd never actually change <laughs> exactly it makes no sense at all right <laughs> I so, actually I found out that because when I go present so much, I when I when I just code, yeah, I actually leave the font size like way higher than I used to, like fifteen. Now you're used to it. Now I'm used to it, and yeah. I like it. Yeah, I like, <laughs> I like my I like my typeface big. Yes, consoles fourteen. Yep, yep. So what's next for you, Mads? Um, well, more web tools. I think there's still a lot to be done. Yeah, especially in the realm of. Uh, JavaScript libraries, mm -hmm. like new JavaScript frameworks, Angular, Knockout, and so on. Yeah. And I think there's a big industry-wide challenge in bringing, bringing um, Angular and Ember and Knockout you know, to the masses. Right. Um, Are you guys going to embrace Angular as you know, sort of a first-class citizen? Yeah, we, we have that in 2013. You have full Angular IntelliSense for all the HTML stuff. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, and we have discoverable ways of, hey, we recognize you have an Angular controller in your HTML. Now we have a smart tag that can generate the JavaScript side of that wow. uh, markup for you. For That's great. Uh, but we want to take it even further because this is, this is back to, do we, do we teach people yeah. to do rich client-side development? Or do we bring tooling down to their level? Right. This this almost sounds wrong, but you know we can go both directions, and that's the do, do we change people? Or what do we do? You know, to feeling how dumb we are. You know, are we really dumb? <laughs> uh, are we kind of smart? Are we really smart? You know, give yep. us a slider. No, I I think it, I don't think it's even that. I just think it's it's difficult for people 
to first of all figure out should I go Angular, should I go jQuery? Uh, sorry, yeah, jQuery. Uh, yeah, Durando. Yeah, no, it's an option, no. sure. Yeah, you know, what, what framework should I use, and am I using it right? Yeah. And are there smarter ways? And right now, it seems that there's a lot of options. Yes. Yeah. And you could choose wrong. And we don't want to be in the business of, first of all, writing our own, right, like sure. we used to with Microsoft Ajax, for instance. Yep. Yeah. So we, we, we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that if you choose Angular or if you choose Ember, that you're going to great, get a great experience. Right. And right now, you have to know a lot of stuff to get going. Yes. Yeah. So how do we bring tooling to a place where it's easier to onboard you? Uh, early on where you don't have to be an expert in JavaScript and you don't have to know everything about HTTP. Just ask us if we want to watch a brief video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to come up to speed on Angular right yep. now? Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, I guess we're out of time, but Mads, thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you. Mads Christensen, ladies and gentlemen. Give him a round of applause. <laughs> we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Dance,